Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Philippians 3. Philippians 3. We're starting a new series called Rewriting Normal. And I just, while you're flipping, now I know you're talented, you're a very talented church, you'll be able to do two things at once. You do have a left hand and a right hand, so this is going to benefit you greatly. But how many people in, in this place today has already made a New Year's resolution? Anyone? New Year's resolution. How many people are, are going to, they're planning on still making some sort of resolution? Keep your hand up, it's all right. It, it's still making, this is good, this is good. You see, I, I believe that, that it's, it's good, it's a new year, there's, there's new things that the Lord has, has probably brought you through last year, and now this year, He's probably brought more things to you and saying, you know what, I'm going to make a resolution to change something this year. Now, how many people, and, and you don't have to raise your hand on this because you'd be embarrassed, but it'd be kind of funny to do it, but how many people have the same resolution this year as what you had last year? Think about that. We have one guilty hand in the back. One. I told you not to raise your hand. Now everybody laughs at you. See, that's, see sometimes we, we kind of we make these resolutions and yet we don't hold to them. And I think one of the reasons why is because they're so, they're so vague or we don't think about steps to working them out. I think it's, it's, it's cool to do that kind of thing, which is why we're going to spend the next four or five weeks just kind of talking about rewriting normal change oh everybody say change yeah you said it really slow change is hard isn't it? it's even hard to say but you know what there's a lot of things in our life that we want to change and we we if we're to be honest and we're sit back and just have a cup of coffee together you would say there are things in my life that i if i could rewrite normal i would in a second now we're kicking off a series, and normally when we kick off a series, there's going to be a whole lot of questions that you have in your mind that are going to be unresolved, and that's because we want you to come back for the whole series, right? That's, so you're going to have questions and be like, well, I just don't, I don't get that. That's fine. I'm, I'm telling you up front, you're not supposed to get it. You're supposed to come back next week, all right, and then the week after that. But we're talking about rewriting normal. You see, what's frustrating is there are many times, and I bet, I bet there's some of you in the same situation is what I'm getting ready to kind of map out. There are times in our life where we go through and we know that something absolutely needs to be fixed, right? Y'all get that so far? It's like you have something in your life that needs to be fixed. Maybe that should be, or maybe that is your New Year's resolution. Something needs to be fixed. Something's broken and needs to be fixed. And yet, for some twisted reason, we don't actually address the issue. We try and avoid it, or we try and skirt the issue and then try and make something else look better in its place. I'll give you a real-life example. Several years ago, um, a, a car that I had, it was a 1980 Plymouth car, right? It was a classy machine, trust me. It, it, was, it looked good on the outside, but, it, but the engine was in total disrepair. And one of the things that was horrible about this car is the carburetor didn't really like to run. Like it would give you a false sense of security. You would start out your day and you'd be like, man, it's going to be a good day. She's running hot today. And you'd be going down the road and all of a sudden you'd hit a stop sign, carburetor would go shut, and the car would stop off. It would stop just like that. But I was a young, enterprising 
man, and I thought, you know what, I, I'm not really going to get it fixed. I think what I can do is I can just take a screwdriver, the screwdrivers that, actually, that I used, the screwdrivers in my office if you really want to see it. But I took this screwdriver and I would stick it in the butterfly. Okay, that's what lets the air in. Everybody who doesn't know cars, who lets the air in into, so your car goes vroom, vroom, right? It lets air go into this place. Well, in the butterfly, I would stick a screwdriver in there because what would happen, my carburetor, the butterfly would slam shut and no air goes in and then the car does what? It stops. Well, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get it fixed, but I can band-aid it, and I'm going to shove this screwdriver right in the carburetor. It'll never go shut. I guarantee it'll never go shut. I made the screwdriver myself, it was, and it's a good one. And I crammed it in there, and it would never go shut. But it also makes other things work kind of poorly. Like, for instance, when you're cruising. Okay, I realize there's a cruising ban here in Dublin, which I have really kind of issues with that myself. But that's, that's neither here nor there. When I grew up, we cruised, right? And we would cruise, and everybody who had a car was cool because you were able to cruise, and everybody wanted to be with you because you had a car. Um, unless your car basically ran only when there's a screwdriver stuck in the carburetor, which is another story. But I would take this car around, but what turned out to not be so cool is the screwdriver would be the very thing that kept the car running, but when you would get to a stop sign, sometimes that it would take in so much air that it would still stop. Now, over the course, of, the course of time, I saved up some money, and I weighed the options, and I thought, you know what? I could take that car and get it fixed, or I could reallocate those funds to buy a sound system, right? Because I had a car. So, which one did I do? You're right, I did. And it rocked. Most, most of the time, it was only in my driveway when it was broke down, but it rocked when it was there. Why did I do that? That's frustrating. It's like you know there's a problem, and yet, oh, you know, it's just, it's not as cool to fix the problem. It, it's, it's better that you try and flower and, and trying to doctor something else up, and you band-aid what the real problem is just to get by, and yet... The reality is, I could have taken that money that I put into the sound system, okay, I would, have, I would have really had some issues and I would have been a whole lot less cool without some sort of music in there. Nobody would have wanted to ride in there with me. Um, all I had was an AM, AM, AM people, radio. Its best station went, and that's about it. But why did I do that? And it's frustrating. But don't we do the same thing in life? We take things and we know they're broken and we kind of band-aid them. You know, your refrigerator, the, your, your ice maker, if, you, if you're like, you're uppity, you know, and you have a refrigerator with an ice maker. Okay, I have one of these and I'm, we're not uppity, so I'm just kidding here. But you know, you, your ice maker stops working, so what do you do? You're like, I could go call a repairman, it's going to cost me $70 for him to go in. It's probably going to milk me for another 100 150 bucks. so I got $200. Or I could just go buy a bag of ice. What are you going to do? You're going to go buy a bag of ice. Right? That's real life. But what about at work? What about at work for you? What about when the most annoying person at work, and we all have annoying people at work, except here, of course, because they're all sitting in here. There's no one annoying here. Maybe it's me. But at work, when you get around the annoying people, what do you tend to do? What do you, if we're honest, what do you tend to do? You tend to avoid them. You're like... 
you kind of label them and you say, wow, they're annoying, they annoy me, best thing I can do is turn away and walk away from them, right? Do we do that? Can we be honest? Sometimes we feel like doing that. Or maybe for us, we, we, we sit back and we don't address an issue. Maybe it's just like a nagging sin or temptation that we have. It's just a nagging sin and temptation. And we just, we're bothered by it. We struggle with it. And yet, instead of actually addressing the sin or temptation that we struggle with, we try and make something else look better to divert away from the very thing that God wants to do in us. Nobody does that, right? Nobody does that. And yet, what if it could be different starting today? What if it could be different starting over, over the course of this series that you could sit back and look at some of the most, really the things that you know that you need to work on. I believe that God will reveal these things that you need to work on. What would normal look like if you could rewrite it? See, I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit for, for the, in something that, that equips every Christian, I believe that there's power to rewrite normal for about every situation. And I believe the hope is found in Christ. Now, before we get into our text this morning, into Philippians 3, let me give you a little bit of background of it. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. Philippi, that's a cool word to say, Philippi. And the Apostle Paul was the spiritual father for this church. He had planted this church. This, uh, the church at Philippi is in modern-day Greece. And he was the spiritual father. They looked up to Paul and they, they like put him kind of on a pedestal and like, that's Paul, I can't touch Paul. Woo, he's so up there, I can't touch him. And yet we see in this writing that Paul has a little bit different perspective of himself. And yet he had planted this church and their church was kind of, it was going well and he writes a letter to this church. Paul had been a Christian for 30 years. You'd think that he'd have some things figured out after 30 years of walking with Christ. And everybody remember, maybe you grew up in Sunday school, maybe uh, we've talked about it here a little bit, but like his conversion experience from Acts 9, it's the one, you know, he went like blind to be able to see and all that, how that worked out. It was from that moment to, to the writing of this, 30 years, approximately 30 years had lapsed. So some things you'd think he would have had figured out. And if there's anybody who would understand, change, it's Paul. Let's look at our text and we'll see what I'm talking about. Philippians 3, starting in verse 10. Paul wrote this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, okay, Here's something that I want, I want personally, as he's writing this personal letter to them, and he says, here's one thing I want. He says, I, I, want, to, I want to know Christ in a personal way. I want to walk with Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, I welcome you, but we would, we would hope that you would embrace Christ, and, and not necessarily Christianity, but Christ, and you'll see um, a lot of things that, that Christianity has become is really not the way of Jesus. We welcome you, and we hope that you would, that you would receive Christ in a personal way. But Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Whoa, 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 whoa. He just went into a place a lot of us are not com- comfortable with. He says, I-, I-, I want to know the power of his resurrection. We like that. We understand that. If you're a Christian, you understand this. There's power. You want some of God's power? Everybody say amen. 
We want some of God's power. Second part of that kind of uh, turns it around. He says, oh yeah, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There's not a whole lot of people want to board that bus this morning, right? But yet, to walk with Christ in a personal way, in an intimate way, to rewrite normal in every aspect of your life, it starts here. Because the fellowship of his sufferings means that you're going to change. There are, there are going to be little rubs against you that you're not going to like, but you need. There are going to be situations that you're presented with that you're not comfortable, but you need to press in instead of walk away. There are going to be annoying people in, that are in your presence that you're going to have to actually embrace instead of avoid. He says you're going to have to share in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. That means you're going to have to do things that you don't necessarily want to do, but it's for the betterment of you and those that are around you. And he says, and, and so, in verse 11, and so, somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. He says, this is a perpetual work. This is good. He says, you're going to attain the resurrection of the dead. He says, you're a work in progress. One thing that's interesting if, if anybody had anything to brag about, like himself, it was Paul. It was Paul. As a matter of fact, in the, in the same chapter, a couple verses back, I'll just read this for you. Paul, the, these are things that Paul is explaining to the church about himself. Somebody's been saved 30 years. You'd think he'd have some things figured out. They thought he was like the spiritual father. He says, if, and this is at the end of... Verse 4, he says, If anyone else thinks that he has lessons, uh, reasons to put confidence in his flesh, he says, I have more. He said, If you think you're something, I'm something more. If you think you're cool, I'm just a little bit more cool. And yet, he, and here's kind of his bio that he gives. But he gives it not in a, in a boastful way. He gives it in a way to, to, to really to, to bring himself to a level of humility. I think we'll see it. He says, I have more, verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day, Jewish thing to do, of the people of Israel. He says, I'm of the people of Israel. Even deeper, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. He said, I was the best, I was the best kind of rule keeper, rule follower. He says, as a matter of fact, as a Pharisee, they would kind of create their own laws. He said, I was so good that I made up my own laws. And he says, as for zeal, it's like, man, I had that worked out. He said, I was one of the Jews who persecuted the Christians. I persecuted the church. And he says, as for legalistic righteousness, he says, I was faultless. He's like, I had the whole legalism thing worked out. And yet he's, he's talking to them and he, to this audience. They would understand this in a way probably better than we can even today. But he's kind of mapping this out and he says, it's not a matter of what you've done. And he kind of shows this contrast with his life. He says, it's not a matter of what I've done. If you were to look at my bio and I've, I've done all these things, re Jewish religious people would sit back and say, whoa, Paul, you're a, you're a powerful man. He says, it's not a matter of what I've done. It's a matter of what God is doing. Can anyone say amen to that? It's a matter of what God is doing. It's not a matter of what He's done. He said, I've, I've been a Christian for 30 years. 
If, you're, if you want to take the Jewish land, he says, I persecuted the Christians. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I had it all dialed in. And he says, but as a Christian, I understand. I've, had, I've been with, uh, with Christ for 30 years, and I don't have it all figured out. So how could you have it all figured out? How could you have it all figured out? How could I have it all figured out? And he continues. Back to our original text. Verse 12. He says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, so this writing is to Christians. He says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But I love this. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, Paul says, that too God will make clear to you. He says, just in case for a moment that you think you got it figured out, oh, the Holy Spirit, that God is going to speak to you and let you know you don't have it figured out. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Whoa. So that means Christians, if you're a Christian, that means that God has already set a standard for you that he is calling you to but also he's given you the promise that he'll help you get there. That's good news. It's not a matter of, of keeping the Christian rules. It's not a matter of, of knowing something and having some knowledge of the Bible and all of these types of things. That doesn't work. That's not, that's not, wor- that's not the, the, the answer. As Paul tells us, he says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. He says... Here's the deal. As a Christ follower, the bar has already been raised for you. Not that you need to try and work up to that, but allow God to work in you to get to that level. That's a great promise for the Christian. That's a great promise to help us rewrite normal. A couple different things to kind of help us uh, along the way here, there's only going to be two main points for today, so that'll be easy uh, note-keeping. Uh, but to kind of help us, and to, uh, this is going to be broad, and I get this, but like I said, this is the, this is the first uh, kind of the prelude to the rest of the series. I want you to come back. The first thing I would say is we need to live with a goal. If you want to rewrite normal in a situation, whatever it was, whatever your resolution is, whatever the, the thing is that, that, that you struggle with, maybe you haven't made a resolution or you're against resolutions, but yet you know that there's this nagging temptation or sin in your life, make a goal. Live with a goal. And say, you know what? From, from this moment forward, my goal is going to be to eradicate this or to build upon this or to change this. Live with a goal. James 1.8 says this. He says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man. Live with the goal. Not, not divided. 
oh, I, I want to make these people happy and I've got to make this person happy and I've got to make this person happy and I've got to make this person happy and I've got to work on this project. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's going to be unstable. You, you trust me, I mean, you're talented, you're good, but you're not that good. You need to pick one thing, right? Are you laughing at somebody else? All right. Be nice, play fair. We, we live with the goal, pick one goal. One realistic goal. Pick one goal. A double-minded man is unstable in all he does. James 1.8. Don't, don't have split interest. It's not a matter of pleasing people or pleasing your boss or pleasing your wife and pleasing your kids. It's a matter of pleasing the Lord. And if he's put something in you and he's challenged you to rewrite normal in, you want to, to live your life up to the standard of which Paul talked about that he's already put before you, and, and the Lord promises to help you get there. It's incredible. He says in verse 13, he says this, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So he's honest with them. Their spiritual father, a Christian for 30 years, he says, I'm just telling you, I know that you put me on a pedestal, but any good, any good religious leader, any good, any, any good Christian, any Christian who's been uh, walking with Christ for a man of years should say the same thing. He says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He says, I'm not perfect. Everybody say, I'm not perfect. He says, I'm not perfect. I know that you put me on this pedestal. I know I've been saved for a lot of years. I know God has really brought me through a lot of things. And maybe I I don't struggle at the same level that you do, but I'm not perfect. I haven't taken hold of it yet. That's the reason why he uses the language of of like striving for him, straining for the prize, and and he's working for it. He's trying, and and God's helping him work to get to that level. And he says, but one thing I do, he actually mentions two things here, but, you know, he was an apostle, and I'm not, so you, you can't really, you know, pick a fight with him. But it says, one thing I do, here's the two things. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. It's actually two things. You can count them. One, two. All right, you got it. He says, but here's one thing I do. But a lot of times in our life, we feel like this. Give you an illustration. Many years ago, I went to uh, to see the Harlem Globetrotters. Has anyone else went to see the Harlem Globetrotters ever? Yes, two of us. Beautiful. So I'm speaking to myself. This is wonderful. Harlem Globetrotters. We know who they are. And I, I went to see the old school Harlem Globetrotters with Curly, the ball headed guy. Not one of the Three Stooges. In case you're confused, he's really not. But the old school Harlem Globetrotters. And I remember going through, and and they went into uh, in the city, the, the largest city close to where we lived, and they went in, and, and they were to put on a show, and we got tickets, and I, I loved it, and it was wonderful, but I remember distinctly that uh, they were incredible ball handlers, basketball, okay, Harlem Globetrotters basketball, go with me here, and they were incredible ball handlers, but, but I remember there's, and you've probably seen the same thing in a different setting, it was just kind of an incredible thing that there was a guy who could spin a basketball like everywhere like he could 
He could start spinning a basketball on his finger, but he could put it on his head and it would still be spinning. And he could put it on his shoulder and it would still be spinning. He could put it on like the, the other part of his elbow and it would still be spinning. And then he could put it on this hand, and, you know, and all over. And he could put it on a knee. And I don't like ballet. That looks weird, doesn't it? He could do all kinds of things like that. And he could, he could, he could have those, those balls just spinning all the time. You see, a lot of times as Christians, that's what we feel like. We have to keep those balls spinning ourselves. We feel like, oh, we have to keep those balls spinning. And he makes it look easy. But I can tell you, if you're walking with Christ, it's not easy to keep all those balls spinning, is it? It's not easy to keep working on all the things you're trying to work on. That's why Paul says, he said, there's one thing I do. I forget what was behind. I'm just, I'm choosing to forget what was behind. I've done a lot of good things and I've done a lot of bad things, but God's still doing things right now. And he says, "I'm, I'm forgetting what was behind and I'm straining toward what is ahead. So I'm not living in the past, either for the good or bad. I'm not taking a measure of all the great things that I've done and woo, woo, and I planted all these churches and I've brought people to Christ and I've, I've done all these things. And he's not saying I'm not a, that I'm a spiritual giant. He says, he goes, one thing I do, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting what is behind and I'm focused. And I'm going to change the word on rewriting normal. I'm focused on that. I'm not focused on what other people do. I'm not focused on what other people, how they look at me. I'm not focused on if my boss likes me. I'm not focused if, if, if people think I'm fair and all these things and if my neighbors think I'm friendly. He says, there's one thing that I do. There's one thing that I do. I'm forgetting what is behind. It's not a matter of all those people. And I'll tell you why in a second. He says, I'm straining toward what is ahead. And what is ahead, our goal should be to be like Christ. And to glorify Christ in all things. See, the amazing thing is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an umbrella sort of thing. When, when, we, when, when we, we strain toward what is ahead and we try and live our lives to the glory of God, the umbrella just it keeps the water coming around, doesn't it? It just keeps coming around. And, and you know what? If we live our lives to the glory of God, it just keeps coming around and it affects our boss and it affects our marriage and it affects our money and it affects our, the rest of our family and it affects that, that annoying person that you try and avoid. All these things. Because if we live our life and we set our goal as being living our life to the glory of God, it changes everything. It changes everything. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus helps us with that it helps us he helps us what's the what's the one thing that you want to kick this year what's the what's the one habit that you want to kick the one that that bothers you that you you feel convicted it's like every time that you you do this you whatever the habit is uh, whatever the the thing is that you that you know is wrong and even me saying that if you're christian you probably have like this little whisper in your mind and it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is what I've been talking about all these years, you know, that kind of thing. What is that habit that, that God whispers things to you and says, you need to change that? Who's that person that you intentionally avoid at work? Who is that? Maybe, maybe for you, it's, and, and Marshall, he, he talked about finances in an amazing way, and it's very helpful, very practical. And the reality is this, many times people, we, we get into debt in a country, in, in a, country, in a culture that, that kind of 
teaches even kids from an early age that you can have more if you just rely on other people's money and then you just pay back their credit card and you get in a world of debt and you have to do all that. See, maybe this year, maybe for you, you're overwhelmed in debt. Maybe it is. And maybe that one thing is that you just need to make some financial decisions so you can get on the road to financial freedom. Maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe there's a sin or a temptation that, that has just nagged you. And, and after a while, you've just resolved to the idea and said, you know what, I'm always going to struggle with this. So what's the use? Maybe your goal should be maybe to get involved in, in a small group, in, in a community group, and just to, to have a time of fellowship so people can speak into your life, so you can confess things to one another and, and, and they can confess things to you and you can encourage one another toward love and good deeds as the word says. And, 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 and you know, maybe, maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe that's what the normal is that you need to rewrite. But there are some things that we need to avoid. We need to avoid what I call the foolish companions. And they're on the screen. We need to avoid the foolish companions of normal, comfort, and misery. You see, when you look at that, at first you think, normal, comfort, and misery. What What are you talking about, normal, comfort, and misery? Well, what becomes normal becomes comfortable. And if God's trying to do a work in you and you've allowed things to just be that sin, that temptation, that nagging, whatever that is within you, if you've allowed that to be normal and you think that you're in some false level of comfort, you're actually in misery because you still struggle with it, right? You still struggle with it. Several years ago, well, not several years, I guess it was probably like a year and a half ago, I had a had something that kind of re- reminded me of the danger of comfort. Austin and I were, were hiking in Pine Mountain over the west side. I don't know what direction that is with my hand, but trust me, it's the west side of Georgia. Pine Mountain, it was, it was really an incredible time. He and I went out there, and uh, I hurt my, my left foot, which is um, something dumb that I did. But I remember that we had decided we were going to go hiking, and we were going to just spend this day hiking. And it was incredible. We went and seen a couple of waterfalls that were... Less than fantastic, but nonetheless, it was a waterfall. And I remember we're, we're walking along, and we get a few miles into the trail, and, and we're, we're climbing up Pine Mountain, right? This is like the, we, we're, we're kind of climbing up, and, and if I'm really honest, I was raring to go, but Austin was not raring to go at this point. And we're, we're kind of climbing up this mountain, and it wasn't switchbacks. It was just kind of like around, 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 and, and, and we kind of, we get up to a point where it seems like we had summited this mountain. And all of a sudden, we had summited this mountain, or it, we had thought, and, and really, my son, he got comfortable, and he's just like, oh, we're finally there. We're finally there. He had, he had taken his guard down, and he had become comfortable. Only for his father to look up and see that the trail just kept going up this mountain. And you know what? That became so much more difficult of an obstacle because he had taken his guard down and he'd become comfortable. And yet, there was so much farther of a distance that we were supposed to go, and it was only going to become more difficult 
once, it, once we thought that we were just comfortable. Does that make sense? See, that's, that's kind of what happens. When we get comfortable and we kind of we put our guard down, even the things that we know we need to rewrite normal about, and we put our guard down, it makes it even harder to kind of break free from that because everyone in here likes the easy chair, don't they? Don't we like the easy chair? You have a chair, don't you? Mine's green. You have an easy chair. We like the easy chair. We like when we go to that chair and we can just kind of put our guard down, don't we? And we just sit there and we're comfortable. We rock or we sit or we put our feet up, whatever you do. We like that. But we also know that that easy chair can be the very thing that that keeps us from doing other things that we're supposed to. We like comfortable clothes. We like comfort foods. Hello, we live in the South. We have a lot of them. But we even know, even from that, that regard, that comfort foods put on weight, don't they? And the very, the very chair that you sit in and the very comfort foods that you're eating put on the 20 pounds of which now you're trying to make a New Year's resolution to get rid of that 20 pounds. So the very comfort has become your enemy. Isn't that twisted how that happens? We can apply that to so many areas of our life. We put our guard down, our comfort becomes our enemy, and it's certainly the enemy of progress. You see, with this, normal is temporary. Normal is temporary. It's, it, it's the way it's supposed to be. The, the way that you are right now, it may be normal in this moment, but it's supposed to be temporary. As, as a Christian, speaking to Christians, it's supposed to be temporary. You're not supposed to be comfortable here. You're not supposed to be comfortable with, wow, I think I have things figured out, and woo, I got this Bible truth, and I, I got this, and I'm involved in this, and I, I went to church three out of four Sundays. Pat me on the back. I did a good work. That, we're not supposed to be comfortable. We're not supposed to just allow normal to be a place that we seek. We're supposed to have normal as a mindset to saying it is, it's only temporary. It's only for right now. That we're, we're striving toward a goal. That we're living with a goal and where I am right now is not where I want to be in five years and not where I want to be spiritually in ten years and not where I want to be in fifteen years. And normal is adjustable, thankfully like our waistbands. Normal is adjustable. You know this. Have you ever had a, have you ever had a job change? Have you ever had a job change? You're normal became adjustable to what you're ever, wherever you had to move, and then wherever you, the, the home that you moved into, it became your normal home, didn't it? You didn't change, you didn't like live in 14 different homes, unless, you're, you know, unless your work made you do those things, but wherever you live becomes normal, and it becomes adjustable to your situation. The, the work of Christ in the life of a believer is much the same way, it's supposed to be a continual work. Normal is temporary. Normal is adjustable. That's the way it is supposed to be. We need to avoid the foolish companions of normal comfort and misery. Paul says it better than I can in verse 16. He says, Only, only, let us live up to what we have already attained. You can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. But Paul says, I'm trying to make it really simple and really clear. He says, only live up to what you've already attained. 
And if you only live up to what you've already attained, Christian, then everything else will take care of itself. Only live up to what you've already attained. I I just have a short list of things. Some some things, if you're not walking with Christ, I'd mention that I I want you to walk with Christ. I want you to accept Him in a personal way. I I want you to have blessing and favor that comes with walking with Christ and the hope that comes with with walking with Christ. But what I'm getting ready to say really only speaks directly to Christians. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this, For my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, that's what the Christian has attained. We've attained power that is perfected in our weakness. Power from God perfected in our weakness. So that when we feel weak and you may feel inadequate going into and whatever the thing is that's on your mind and in your heart right now, the thing that you know you need to change, know this going in. The power of God is made perfect in your weakness. The power of God is made perfect in your weakness. So you feel incapable of this, you feel incapable of this situation or, or this, this, this status or whatever it is that you're trying to do, you're trying to get out of debt and just say, you know what, I, I just want to encourage you with this. This is something that you have attained. The power of God that is made perfect in your weakness. We also have a citizenship in heaven that is awaiting us. And this is Philippians 3.20. Paul talks about this directly after the text that we're studying this morning. Talking about the idea of citizenship. He says, you've already attained this. You've already, you've, you've already, you have that. It's there. Your place is sealed. For the Christian, your place is sealed. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to work it out. You don't have to. It isn't a matter of how much you can serve to earn what God gives. It isn't a matter of that. He says, you have a citizenship in heaven awaiting you. And yet, in your weakness, his power is made perfect. A great struggle in our culture today is is people don't have parents. Or, Or the mom is out of the picture, the dad's out of the picture. But yet, if you're a Christian, you've been accepted as as a son of or daughter of Almighty God. You've been accepted. You've already attained this, Christian. You've already attained this. That you are a son or daughter of Almighty God. Probably the thing that speaks the loudest to me, maybe it will for you, is Galatians chapter 3 and 4 kind of unpacks this. That we're not a slave to sin. We're not a slave to sin, but we're a co-heir with Christ. So not only in our weakness is His power perfected, when we set a goal and we set a realistic goal and we want to give God the glory and, and whether it's, it's our finances or, or, or our bodies or whatever, our relationships or the way you handle you know, your, your work relationships, whatever the case may be, if we just choose, say we're going to glorify God in all things and we're going to only live up to what we've already attained, this is the standard that, that, that Paul kind of sets for us in a picture that he's trying to paint for us to understand and, and yet be able to apply some truth to. He, he, it's just beautiful the way that he 
explains this in Galatians. He says, you're not a slave to sin. So stop living like it. You're a co-heir with Christ. That's what you've attained. That should be hope for you. That should be, that should be, it should be two things. For a Christian, this should be inspiring for you. You should have goosebumps like I have goosebumps because you're a co-heir with Christ. In your brokenness, in your weakness, He is making you whole by His perfect power. And yet, the other side of that, if you are not walking with Christ, this should make you sit back and look at your life to say, maybe I'm exhausted because I'm doing it all myself. Maybe I'm... Maybe I, I just I'm, I'm, I live in a level of anxiety because I'm trying to earn my salvation in maybe a religious way. Maybe that's what it is for you. I, I'm not really sure. But one thing I do know is this. My wife says this quote. Normal is just a setting on your dryer. I do know that. Right? Everybody have a dryer? If you don't have a dryer, you wish you had a dryer, right? Because then you go into the laundromat. Normal is just a setting on your dryer. What would your life look like if you were just to move the dial a little bit? To where you would kind of challenge your idea of normal a little bit. That you would, that you would, the, the very thing that God is whispering to you and challenging you with and he's trying to open up your heart and mind about, what if you said yes to him even this one time? What would your life be like? What would your family be like? How good would that feel emotionally? To just say, you know what? I'm weak. Lord, make your power perfect in me. And I believe that if we were to sit back as a church and we were to make these kind of commitments, not only would it make your work better, in, in your, your home life better. But I think that would impact our community in such a way that this church would become the very embodiment of what I talked about last week. That we would be the light of just gleaming grace and truth to Middle Georgia, to Dublin, to Lawrence County. And if we are to do those things, Trust me, people would take notice. What is it that you need to make a commitment about? What is the goal that you need to to just kind of take an honest assessment about and just say, okay, I'm sick of living this way. I'm going to set this goal. I'm going to avoid the foolish companions of normal comfort and misery. And I'm going to choose to live up to what I've already attained. And I think if you do that, I think you will see the power of God in your life in such a miraculous way that you will be shaken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 